Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal, who uh, you know, raised some eyebrows, saying some nice things about President Obama for his decision to get involved uh, when it comes to ISIS in Iraq, Bill. Eyebrows were snapping all over America, I'm sure. <laughs> um, people, MSNBC executives falling up there. I mean, look, I, I, he did a little bit. We'll see how much it ends up being. It's late, and it seems very limited. And his remarks last night, I've got to say, were not encouraging in the sense that why are we acting humanitarian crisis fine i'm fracking there and because americans are in earville and we might have to act to uh you know protect americans no geopolitical strategic sense of anything i mean uh, an american president looks at a an al-qaeda affiliated group a more extreme group than al-qaeda which seems to have real military capability real uh, terrorist capability uh, dominating hundreds, maybe thousands of square miles of major cities in Iraq, uh, into Syria. And we think we have no strategic issue there. It's just a humanitarian question and a question of protecting American lives. I find that dispiriting in terms of what it suggests about the president's continued refusal to face reality in the Middle East. Or the president continuing to stand by his premise that it really isn't in America's interest what happens around the world until it immediately affects an American directly. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what he wants to. He wants to stick to that, and I we could pay a pretty big price for that. Um, I maybe he's given up the confidence to let him to say what six months ago that uh, we've decimated Al Qaeda, and now it's just the JV wearing Los Angeles Lakers jerseys that we're dealing with, and that's become a ridiculous. Uh, that'll be a statement that'll go down history books as kind of uh, ridiculous and unfortunate. I would say. I mean, uh, the, the whole we're in now in the Middle East, I just talked actually with someone from the Middle East here in New York, and I had a cup of coffee with him, and uh, the degree to which they just think they're on their own, if they're our friends, if they, if they want to fight the Islamic extremists, whether they're Muslim or Jewish or Christian, uh, they're going to try to do so. Uh, Christians are in the worst shape, at least the Jews have a state in Israel, um, and some of the Muslims have, you know, some strength too, uh, in Egypt and other countries where their government's willing to fight uh the jihadists but i mean we are not doing much to help our friends that's for sure also president obama gave isis a way forward in its expansion when and uh, you know they uh, took over a city in lebanon at one point this week as well which is avoid overt humanitarian crises let the yazidis you know escape somewhere and take their land and territory you know let the christians flee somewhere and take their stuff and you can spread your islamist caliphate as far as you want and the, and the united states will stand by hey baghdad as long as you let the americans leave the embassy without getting hurt it's all yours that apparently based on the president's comments last night is our foreign policy I mean, I think they're crazy enough that they won't do what would be, you know, in a way tactically shrewd for them to do. But right, if I were, one can imagine if someone were running uh, ISIS saying, you know what, we don't want to arm a hair on an American's head. We will provide safe conduct to them out of air bill. And incidentally, that was kind of a misunderstanding that we're going to slaughter all these Christians and, 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 and Muslims and uh, who don't go along with us and, and people from other sects. Uh, and so that's not just a misunderstanding and we're going to be more tolerant at that point, you do get the impression the president would just turn his back and pretend that everything's fine. Because the foreign policy isn't a foreign policy in the sense of America right. has interests, interests of the West, interests of, of democracy, stability, opportunity, and spreading you know, modernity. The only interest is, oh, are you hurting someone right now in a way that's so TV-friendly that I have to respond to it? That's not a foreign policy. That's military PR campaigns. 
you know, I ran into someone this morning here in New York who's sort of on the other side of a lot of these arguments for me, usually not much of an interventionist, very limited view of America's core strategic interests. But he had the exact same reaction, too, which was, look, I mean, we can differ about what the right strategy is. Let's try to have a strategy. I mean, let's try to have a coherent view of the world and what we have to do to advance our own well-being in this world. And the president once had actually a coherent view. It was a dovish uh, Cairo speech. Can't we all get along? I'm a different kind of president. I'm going to change things in the Middle East. Bush made everyone angry. I'm not going to make everyone angry. Then I think he's kind of given up on that. That seems a little ludicrous um, right now. I don't think ISIS is uh, going around slaughtering people and, and expanding its caliphate because of Bush. But on the other hand, he hasn't replaced it with anything. And so now, as you say, it's purely reactive. It's purely looking to mean occasionally if there's a humanitarian problem. Uh, let's, I guess, protect Americans. But nothing much beyond that. And the trouble with that is, as much as I'm happy, I guess, that he's doing something, you end up not having a coherent view. Maybe you do a couple of little things and then you don't do anything more. And in some ways, that it can be even worse, actually, than, than not getting involved at all. I mean, I'm not criticizing. I'm happy, I guess, he's getting involved. But I worry now that you could end up with a kind of incremental involvement and, and, and insufficient involvement that isn't going to address the real problem at all. And to be the person who ruins the argument by going to the Nazi analogy first, Bill. But, I mean, the premise would be as long as the Nazis were only spreading their, you know, uh, their their fascism by traditional military means, that would be one thing, and we would stand by and watch. It's because of the the horror of the Holocaust that you would have to act. Of course, it was in America's interest to stop Nazi Germany, regardless of the Holocaust. If Nazi Germany had never, you know, committed a single one of those awful atrocities, they still would have been atrocious and still would have needed someone to oppose them. But apparently, in the modern world, we just say, well, hey, you know, what are we going to do? Well, and you can't separate it, honestly. The reason they're on the margins is they have this great ideology. And again, that's something that uh, President Obama hasn't wanted to face up to, and, and one doesn't have to be hysterical about this. Or, but there is a version of Islam, a branch of Islam, that is committed to uh, fundamentally overturning the Middle East as it has been and fundamentally uh, getting rid of Israel and doing what they can to damage and ultimately even get rid of us. That's a longer-term proposition, obviously. But it's not something to be mocked. I mean, I, I was talking with someone about this the other day, and, you know, we take Nazi, we took Nazism seriously, finally. Right. right. Uh, we took communism seriously. We sort of take the jihadist thing as kind of, well, there are a few, you know, 7th century lunatics, sure. and, and they never can really get themselves organized to do us to do real much damage. 9-11 was terrible, but then we taught them a lesson. I think one, the one thing ISIS is showing us is that we shouldn't underestimate our enemies. Uh, and one, one thing you pointed out in the... Uh... A weekly standard, which I thought was an interesting parallel, the difference between waiting until the crimes have been committed and then trying to hold people responsible, as is happening to the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, versus acting today. Well, I was just struck in the New York Times, I guess it was Wednesday or Thursday, there was an article about ISIS and how it's very hard to get people organized to do anything. Uh, why is that? I wonder why it is. Well, it is because President Obama's not interested in getting anyone organized to do anything. Um, and then the next page, or at least online, sort of next 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 uh, article over was uh, war crimes tribunals for uh, the Khmer Rouge, a couple of 80-year-old Khmer Rouge mass murderers in Cambodia. And I had this vision of sort of in 20, 30 years from now, Samantha Power or maybe Susan Rice, uh, you know, going to presiding at a war crimes tribunal for someone. I, I hopefully 
20, 30 years from now, yeah, they would be before a war crimes tribunal, but it's a lot better to stop than uh, better than if they just won and they were never a tribunal, I guess. But the truth is, the thing you have to do is stop it. And it's not justice to bring people to the war crimes tribunal 10 or 20 years later. It's not justice to the people who have been slaughtered. It's not justice in terms of its implica- the implications over the next 5, 10, 20 years around the world. And in some way, I mean, the Cambodia genocide was, was so far more horrible, I think, than, than what's happened in the Middle East. But on the other hand, strategically, it was containable, actually. The Chinese, uh, even the Soviet Union, the people didn't have much interest in helping those guys, and Vietnam didn't, and they ended up being removed from power, and, and the, it didn't have a huge ripple effect through the region. Uh, this is more dangerous. This is more dangerous. You know, ISIS is cousins to Hamas, and they're cousins to the Muslim Brotherhood, and various spinoffs of the Muslim Brotherhood, and Al-Qaeda groups throughout the Middle East, and what's happening in Libya, and Yemen, and Iraq, it's all connected. And so this is a serious movement. I think that's something I've been struck by the last few months. And I think I even, it's not even, but I underestimated this too, the, the degree to which jihadism is a serious threat. And we're, we're, we deal with these individual terror groups. That's the way the Obama administration thinks about it. You know, core Al-Qaeda and there's spin-offs of Al-Qaeda. It is a serious threat. And with ISIS and Iraq and Syria, now we really see it manifesting itself in a way that's surprising everyone. I hope it's a serious wake-up call. I've got to say that I'm not encouraged by what the president said last night. Well, you know, we had um, the Khmer Rouge go to what I call the yellow tape moment. That is, no one asks until the crime's done, and then the yellow tape shows up. And by then, it's so horrific. Uh, um, Rwanda, another example. You wait, mm-hmm. the horror's done. Israel can't wait for a yellow tape moment because Israel's existence is at risk. And I've been struck by how... It's, it seems from the outside, and you know better than I do, how smart Israel's approach has been having made the decision, look, we're going to go to Gaza, we're going to pay a, a price in the media, whatever, but we have a specific military strategy. One, shutting down tunnels and rockets. Two, letting people see how much Hamas is hurting them by being in governance. And uh, you said earlier this week, uh, no, Lee Smith said earlier this week on the Weekly Standard Podcast, Israel won. And I think that's uh, more and more evident every day, even though the uh, uh, Hamas continues to try to keep fighting. Yeah, I mean, I think they, I think they did, they won, but I think the Israelis are hard-headed enough to know that you don't win once and for all. Winning doesn't mean you can say, okay, that was unpleasant and difficult, and now we can just go back to doing nothing. Hamas broke the ceasefire and launched rockets, and Israel has, attacked, has, has responded, and it may not be over, you know, and they may have to use ground troops again. And you don't see Bibi Netanyahu going on Israeli television. Uh, you do see him saying, I think you know, it's a, we hope that the violence is over. We hope we've minimized the need to, the, the, the casualties on the other side. And, and above all, as Israeli prime minister, he says he hopes he's minimized the need to put Israeli uh, soldiers at risk, uh, as he did have to do in, in Gaza. But he never guarantees that that won't have to be done. You know, he's a serious leader, and he knows that you just can't rule out the need, the possible need to use force and do difficult things with your military and, and uh, as well as your intelligence services and so forth. And you just you watch Netanyahu, and again, I had no you know, the certainty that he's doing exactly the right thing in this area. Maybe he should be doing more, maybe he should be doing less. But at least he's serious about it in a way that Obama isn't. And the having the strategy so people understand as they stumble for you know, as things go forward and events change back and forth, you know where you're headed. I'm trying to figure out the Hamas strategy. I, here's my theory, Bill. They're looking for a moment to quit that seems like a victory. 
because right now what's happening is Hamas launches more rockets and the people of Gaza go, ah, oh, are you kidding me? Stop with the rockets already. You're not doing any good. You're just, you know, making the Israelis act, you know, you're forcing them to act even more. Yeah, I mean, it might be that they're worried about their hold on power and the one way to keep it is to keep on fighting and sort of get others to rally to them. I think every time John Kerry, of course, takes them seriously and is willing to talk to the Qataris or the Turks and interlocutors, it probably gives Hamas some hope. And every time a European leader, uh, in effect, intervenes on their side, they figure uh, maybe we keep on fighting, we can get a better deal out of this, you know, more pressure to open uh, the borders after this is all over. So who knows? I think they're also probably inspired by their cousins over in Iraq. They see ISIS making these gains, and they say, well, people said they couldn't do that either, but maybe Israel's kind of a, a tough, but maybe they'll get reined in by Obama. So uh, you don't know what's going to their minds, obviously. They don't think quite the way you know, Westerners, Western uh, liberal Democrats do. But uh, the one thing that's obvious is they don't respect uh, weakness. You know, there was a tweet yesterday uh, by Iowa Hawk, who's very, a very funny guy, a conservative, uh, blogger and tweeter uh, who said Yazidi, the Yazidis are the people who are on the you know the terrible situation on the mountaintop in, in Iraq, and this little sect that uh, the, the uh, ISIS wants to want to exterminate basically. Yazidi is Kurdish for unarmed Israeli, and I think that's a brilliant. I mean, it's a depressing and kind of mordant, uh, mordantly witty tweet, right. but it is a real reminder of what happens in the Middle East if you are a small religion, a small sect, a small ethnic group that doesn't have arms. Uh, now we have to get to the most radical group, according to the Obama White House, on this face of the earth today, and that, of course, is the Tea Party. Uh, and yet again, another obituary written for the Tea Party. Uh, Lamar Alexander uh, won his primary in uh, Tennessee. The fact that the Tea Party has won very few uh, primary, uh, they, they've very few beaten very few incumbents, I should say, in primaries. Uh, is that a sign that they're not not to force to be taken seriously? No, I mean it's a sign that if incumbents pair and know they're going to get challenged and outspend their challengers three, four, five to one, and they can hang on. But look what Alexander and Pat Roberts had never been challenged. Uh, Lamar Alexander is, you know, totally dominant Republican politician in Tennessee. Roberts, the same in Kansas. They win by what, like 50 to 40, basically. I think like, neither broke 50%, neither Alexander nor Roberts. Um, they, they had multiple candidates against them. And their closest challenger was, what, 8, 10, 12 points behind, I think. That's not a great challenge for an incumbent. For me, that shows how strong the dissatisfaction with the establishment is, with the leadership in Washington. And the Republican Party would be crazy to ignore that. Crazy to say, hey, great, let's just go back to business as usual. Um, so I think the Tea Party has sent the appropriate signal here. We'll see if, if the Republicans in Washington adjust. But I think if you think of who's go who are going to be the new Republican senators, new Republican House members, the rising stars in the party, uh, they're not sort of Tea Party radicals, maybe, against the establishment, but they're certainly Tea Party influenced. And I don't think this is going to be, in 2015, we will look at the Senate, we will look at the House, we will look at the presidential field, and we will not think, I believe, that this is the Bob Dole, John McCain, Mitt Romney Republican Party. Thanks for your time, Bill Crystal, here on the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.